from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Content warning. This podcast discusses violence, murder, suicide, civil unrest, aggressive policing, racism, and lynching. If you or anyone you know is considering suicide or self-harm or just need to talk about problems, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or text the Crisis Text Line at 741-741. Previously, on After the Uprising. If this happened to your child, wouldn't you want to get down to the bottom of this and find out what really happened? I think that black people in general are suspicious of that because of the history of lynching in this country. I definitely understand why the parents would jump to that conclusion. You think Donye would try to arrange to get Marcel hurt? Donye would do it himself. You know, you want to come over. I, I think, you know, the text, he had a lot on his mind, so he wanted to talk. Me and Diane's relationship was, he influenced me in positive ways. I learned from him, you know, an older brother, a mentor, you know what I'm saying? And he looked out for me, you know, my right-hand man. But when I went back to look at those, they're gone. I can't say this for certain, but it makes me wonder, is someone still logged into his account somewhere, perhaps? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. What you're looking at is the aftermath of the grand jury deciding not to indict Officer Wilson. A young man found hanging from a tree in October. His mom believes someone murdered her son, targeting him. Kanye became an activist in the wake of the shooting death of Michael Brown by a white police officer. That's why Melissa McKinnis wants St. Louis County Police to dig deeper into her son's death. He was not suicidal. This is After the Uprising, the death of Donye Dion Jones. As far as who lured Donye out, we had already got word that 
people thought that that's who it was. And at this point, I'm really believing that they had something to do with it. Have you or anyone in your immediate family talked to him? No. Oh, no. 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 No one's confronted him about this? Oh, no. Mm -mm. Are you in any way afraid of him? Um... I'm afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm just with what I have to do. If I'm dead, I can't do it, right? This is from a conversation we had with Melissa in July of 2019. Long before we had Donye's phone hacked and before the St. Louis County Police destroyed the bedsheet. She wanted to tell us what she was hearing about one of her step-nephews, who has the nickname Deanie Boy. She had been told that he was possibly involved in getting Donye out of the house the night he died, and she called to tell us that members of her family believed he may have also been involved in someone else's death. He said, um, I would serve them some bad drugs and not think twice about it. And so I said, what? He said, I'm serious. So I looked at Danye, and Danye was like, dude, you tripping. And I said, you know what? You can leave. I said, because you sound real serious. Melissa and Danye basically told Deanie Boy to leave after saying such a heinous thing. And then sometime later, the woman Deanie Boy allegedly threatened did in fact wind up dead. We know, it's a lot to track and one big speculation sandwich. That's what this whole episode is going to be. We're taking out our flashlight and climbing down a lot of rabbit holes here, so strap in. Maybe we could pull back and go big picture and see where you all sit at this point. Are you feeling that it was murder, but possibly not racially motivated murder? In other words, that it could have been related to something, I don't know, you know, Deanie or something. Are you thinking it's police specific related? I mean, I want to get a sense of where, you know, where do you think, what do you think happened? What I think happened is... My son was lured out to be murdered, and that's it. Who is it? That's that's see, everybody else wants to make it seem like it's one thing. My main thing is who the hell killed my son? I don't care if it was the police, I don't care if it was President Obama, I don't care. I need to find out who killed my son. So I'm not leaning towards anything. What I'm leaning is towards is someone killed my son and he did not commit suicide for more than two years. We have met with Melissa and her family. We've spoken over the phone, texted, emailed, and across all of that communication, we've heard several bits and pieces of theories about possible suspects and potential motives and just strange happenings that we think we should share. Some of these bits and pieces were things that Melissa and her family found odd but really had nowhere to go with. There was a white man in the back of the church when we got there. Just standing there, not speaking to anybody. Was he the only white guy there? The only white guy there. Okay. He wasn't the only white guy. It was activists there, but he okay. stood out there. Yeah, no one knew. when he came down, he's the only white man that I saw there. When he came down, he didn't speak to the family. He didn't even go look at Donye. He didn't go, he didn't walk past Donye. He walked over to a Remember Christ table that had a Bible on it did exactly like this with his hands, his finger, like he was reading something. But you could tell he wasn't really reading. And he turned around and walked out. Didn't see him anymore. What did he look like? A middle-aged white guy, not really heavy, short hair. He had like um, a scruffly like beard type thing. Is he wearing a suit or anything? He had on um, some like light khaki pants and a regular shirt. And no one's ever seen this guy before and no since? One ever, nope. I had actually asked our older sister, I'm like, did you see him? And she was like, yeah, who is he? I was like, I don't know, but he seems like really weird. Like he didn't even look at Don yet. I said, okay, well maybe he's an ex, like a, maybe an ex-manager or maybe he's a teacher. So when, you know, after the funeral and we all got together and started talking about everything, I asked um, my niece and nephew, like, did y'all see the white guy that was in there? And they was like, yeah, we saw him. He was standing in the back. And they was I said, well, is he like maybe an ex-manager? Maybe is he a teacher? They was like, we don't know who he is. We've never seen him a day in our life. With no name or photographs of this man, there really isn't anything to build off of. 
so it just stands out as an oddity in their minds. Who was this guy? Why was he at Danye's funeral? Was he somehow involved in Danye's death? Or was he just some weird guy who likes to walk into strangers' funerals? And speaking of mysterious white people, Melissa and Derek once told us a quick anecdote about some nameless white boys who were supposedly messing with Danye. Danye always said, you know, people can know where you live mm. and you need to always have your protection. And now, mind you out there doing what you do and you're, you're getting threats. You made me think about some things. Um, when he talked to my brother, he was saying something about some, some white boys or something. Being after him. Being after him. Yep, I remember that. And um, he was trying to inquire about a gun then. So, you know, something was definitely going to see. He wouldn't want to worry anyone about issues that may be going on with him or let you know the better type thing. Do you remember anything else about these like these white boys or like a time? Well, I just don't specific. My brother was telling me that um, when he pulled up and he talked to me, he said, hey, you know where I can get, you know, a gun or something. He said, white boys, you know, looking for me or something. Some sort of fact. They've been, they've been messing with me. Right. He, he told me, he said, they called me a, a nigga, ma, a nigga, and... I, I knocked him out. I hit him. Do you remember even a rough time when that was? Oh, that man. was like maybe September yeah. or August. Yeah, end somewhere of around August. there. Somewhere no, around this there. was September. Yeah, I, I would say around September before I said Yeah. So according to Derek, one day his brother pulled up to their house and Danye happened to be outside. Upon seeing Derek's brother, Danye asked him if he could help him acquire a new gun. And the reason he gave for needing one was that some white boys were trying to get at him. According to Melissa, Danye told her that some white boys had called him the N-word, and he had knocked one of them out. Are these all the same white boys? We don't know. All of this was roughly a month or two before Danye died. As with the mystery funeral guest, there are no real details to build off of, and maybe these white boys have absolutely nothing to do with Danye's death. But... It does give us pause. And then there is this step-cousin you heard Melissa talk about at the beginning of this episode, nicknamed Deanie Boy. Before Danye had left early last year, you know, him and Deanie Boy was like, they were around each other a lot, right? So from what I'm hearing, Deanie Boy's father and Deanie Boy was having Danye make runs for them. Okay? You know what mm-hmm. runs mean, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I, I, I'm going to guess you mean that he's, like, driving drugs. Yeah, like get, getting them for them, you know. Yeah. So that's why Danye was supposed to have disappeared because he didn't want anything to do that with that anymore. He said, Ma, I've done some things, you know, that you wouldn't be proud of. And um, and I said, like, what? He said, I, sold, I pushed, like, I was selling drugs. And I was like, wow. He said, that's why I left to go away to get my money together and come back and start my business. He said, you know, I I tried that once just to get my money right as far as that. And they want me to come back. So what from what I'm hearing is when they found out that Danye had come back, they had started making a lot of threats towards Danye. And... Danye wouldn't come out anymore. Do you think he owed them any money? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Melissa didn't say she thought Deanie Boy actually killed Danye, but speculated that maybe he was somehow involved with getting Danye out of the house. Who would have put him up to this, she didn't know, but further speculated it may have had to do with drug charges brought against him the summer before Danye's death. We got a hold of Deanie Boy's criminal record, and it's pretty long. Since he was a teenager, he's been getting in trouble for various thefts. And he also was charged with assaulting a seemingly random person on the street. Deanie Boy got caught up on some drug charges right before Danye was killed. That's what he's on the run for. And then he went to Florida, mm-hmm. and, then he, and then he came back and was in town the day Danye died. Yep. 
I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Then there are the two things that Melissa has pointed to all along, right from the beginning, that never got much attention from the police, and that we would feel remiss if we didn't talk about now. The strange cars that Melissa and her family all witnessed, parked on the street in front of their house in the weeks preceding Danye's death, and the brick Danye was keeping next to the couch where he slept. First, let's discuss the cars. See, the thing with the cars is most of them had the tinted windows. Mm. Like the front, it was tinted, but around the car was completely tinted each and every time. And it was you, different cars. And it was one person sitting in the car? Or that, no. at least you could tell? Or? It looks like like most of the time it was only one, but one time it was more. And that's when there were, you know, the, the black SUVs, um, that the police drive. So, let's say this is our home, okay? And there's a street. If we look to the left and to the right, they were on both ends of our home, just mm-hmm. parked there. And you, but you can see that there were people in it. Okay. So, me and Diane and I, we went out and sat on the porch. This is one time that this just broke it all away, like made okay. us like really you know, kind of scared a little bit. We went on the porch and we looked and I said, you see that? He said, yeah, he said, they're on both ends watching. You can see them looking this way though. So we played with them, you know, we like, and we went back in the house. And we went back in the house, we went in my bedroom and opened up the blinds. Those guys got out of their, the, the trucks, walked in front of our home and it was at least five or six of them and stood there. All white guys? All white guys. You can tell that they were cops because okay. they were all like the same kind of cars, the, mm-hmm. the, those trucks. We see them, we still see them now, but um, they just stood in front of our house. And so it really creeped Danye out. He said, whoa, what's going on? And he bagged Matt. I said, look, they can come and knock on this door if they want to. You know, they don't have, it's nothing in here. He said, yeah. I said, let them just stare. So I'm just sitting there looking at them. And then they finally walked back, got in their trucks, and pulled off. Melissa told us this story on several occasions. It clearly made an impact on her. How could it not? We made sunshine requests 
to several local and state law enforcement agencies to see if anything would come up about surveillance on Melissa's house, but we weren't given anything back. We hesitate to suggest that this means some form of surveillance wasn't happening. We also made a Freedom of Information Act request to the Department of Homeland Security and to the FBI, but again got nothing back, which we don't think means much because FOIA requests typically need the threat of a lawsuit to get any meaningful response. And then, if you remember, back in episode one, we asked County PD spokesman Sergeant Sean McGuire if police looked into the statements Melissa made about cars being parked outside of her home. She claims that in the uh, time leading up to his death that there were menacing people who'd been around her home. Was that at all looked at? Um, I, I believe that was looked at eventually. She did not report that stuff uh, immediately to detectives. Because part of their initial investigation, they didn't know anything about that. As time went on, she had the public Facebook post and kind of told Facebook instead of us. That's when obviously detectives were interested in talking to her about that. But it was definitely looked into eventually. Based on our read of the police report on Danye's death, every part of this statement by Sergeant McGuire appears to be exactly false. Detective Anderer's report states that, in fact, Melissa did tell police the morning of Danye's death that strange cars had been outside of her home. But the report contains no mention of Anderer or any detective looking into these suspicious vehicles in any capacity. Then, there is the brick that aroused Melissa's very first suspicions. There was a brick down there. And that's the reason why I had actually went out to the backyard. Because I'm like, why, why did he have his brick in his house? What's going on, you know? He had it set? By the, where he sleeps. Like next to the bed? Yeah. Okay. That's when my, my antennas went up. I'm like, what the hell? Before Melissa even knew that Donye was dead, she found the brick he kept next to the couch where he was sleeping. If you remember from episode one, she had gone downstairs to look for Donye and saw the brick. She had no idea why it would be there. And upon carrying it to the back patio where it came from, she found Donye hanging in the tree. Since that moment, she has suspected that the brick was a weapon that Donye was keeping close, something he could use to defend himself against an attacker. If that is in fact why Donye was keeping a brick next to him while he slept, that would seem to suggest a few things. For one, he is afraid of being attacked. And two, he is afraid of being attacked by someone who can get into his house. Was he afraid of random intruders or of somebody specific? Would the white boys know where Donye lived and how to get into his house? Or is that the domain of perhaps a step-cousin? And what about Marcel, the person who allegedly shot Donye's best friend Damon and narrowly missed his brother Javon? When we re-listened to the audio of Melissa reading for us her text message chain with Donye about those events, it started to seem pretty evident that Donye was planning some sort of revenge attack on Marcel, and that this plan was devised in such a way so that it would not lead back to him. Remember how Donye told Melissa the streets were going to handle it? The streets was going to take care of that. He knows a lot of people. So I say, dude was plotting to shoot other people and already have. At one point, do y'all wise up or do y'all just let him just keep shooting innocent people? Shaking my head. He says he was he would get taken care of. I said, then when he's taken care of, his people was going to come after them. Think. So he said, okay. You not understand what I'm saying, not if it's a setup, things different. It sounds like Donye is hinting to his mother in these texts that he may have been trying to have somebody else kill Marcel. Now add to this the text he sent to his friend in Springfield, Maijiana, and to Deja. The text to Maijiana said that an MF was getting popped and that soon he might have to come lay up with her for a week. The texts to Deja named Marcel, gave a description of him, had Danye saying he knew where Marcel lived, and then were followed up by Danye sending two photographs, likely containing Marcel's image. He ended it all by asking if Deja's people could line it up. Knowing that all of this transpired about four weeks before Danye ended up dead seems so entirely coincidental. 
almost unbelievably so. Here he is, seemingly plotting a hit on someone, then that someone is detained but released. Immediately after, Donye gets very paranoid, or stressed, depending on who you ask. He doesn't want to go anywhere unless it's to show a property. He asks Derek's brother for help getting a gun, ostensibly to protect himself from some maybe real, maybe made up white boys, and he eventually puts a brick next to his bed. One possibility is that he wanted to use it as a weapon if someone tried to attack him in the night. And honestly, it's hard to think of a second reason he would keep a brick next to him while he slept. What's going on here? Did Marcel find out that Donye was maybe preparing a revenge attack on him through an intermediary? We really wanted to know what Deja had to say about all of this. But once we told her that we had opened Donye's phone, she would answer a text or a Facebook message here and there. But every time she scheduled to meet us in person, she wouldn't show up. On more than one occasion, we sat waiting for her at a bar or a restaurant, only for her to never come. We would schedule phone calls, but when the time came to talk, she wouldn't answer. We figured we should just lay all of our cards on the table and put the ball in her court. Your call has been forwarded to an automatic voice message system. At the tone, please record your message. Hi, Deja. It's John from the Danye Podcast. Sorry we weren't able to connect with you this morning. Uh, we really hope to be able to speak with you again. I know Ray made it uh, clear to you that we did open up Danye's uh, Android phone. And there's just a few questions we have after seeing some texts that he sent to you, uh, particularly revolving around Marcel and, you know, the way Danye was speaking with you uh, around those events. And, um, you know, I... It just looks, it, it can just kind of look strange from the outside, and we were hoping you could explain what you guys were talking about so it makes sense to us. So, uh, you know, just give us a text or a call, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Thank you. Eventually, Deja did get back to us, and we made another plan to meet when we were back in St. Louis. On a weekday afternoon, Deja had us meet her at her place of work, where she hopped into my car and we spoke for almost two hours. Full disclosure, we did pay Deja $100 to give us this interview. At the outset, we told her how Danye's best friend Damon had said to us that he wasn't surprised by the idea that Danye had died by suicide. I, on the other hand, was very surprised. Okay. Very, very surprised. Because Danye never was suicidal. He will probably hurt someone else before he hurt himself, to be honest. Like, he wouldn't be on no... I'm finna kill myself, and nobody know about it. If he was in danger, if if there was someone out to get him, and he knew about it, could you see him in that situation taking his own life? To be honest, no. He will go away. He'll disappear. Like I said, me and Daye, Daye was like everything to me. Nah. I know I knew him too well for him to even think about suicide. And it was just the case that I talked to him two days before he passed away. Like, that's what kind of threw me off. Like, we were just on the phone talking about how we was finna do things with each other and get married, all types of things. You know, we were just talking, trying to see where we were going to move forward to. Deja told us that she and Danye were working on getting back together. And maybe they were. What was important to us in this moment was understanding what Danye was trying to have Deja line up for him regarding Marcel. There's a person named Marcel. Mm-hmm. You familiar with Marcel? Yeah, I know Marcel. Is Marcel the one who sh- yeah, shot at Javon? Yeah. Shot Damon? Shot, yeah. Okay. And then he started texting you mm-hmm. right after that. And he there's a conversation where he's basically d- saying, he's describing Marcel to you. And then he asks, can your people line it up? Yeah. And I need to know, what did he mean by that? Basically, he wanted me to get him in the room with him. He wanted to, I wouldn't say cause a conflict, but he he was trying to resolve it. Danye don't like people doing stuff towards his family. He loved his family. Yeah. So I wouldn't say he was going to hurt him or anything, but he just wanted me to see if I could reach out to him and get them near each other. Do you know Marcel personally? No. 
Deja made it seem as though she thought Danye only wanted to get face-to-face with Marcel, which we didn't think squared with everything we saw on his phone, so we shared that information with Deja, telling her about his texts with Melissa and Maijiana. This new information quickly changed Deja's mind. He probably was cooking up that, as you as you saying, what he takes the other girl, but I just didn't know because he don't want me. He ain't, he ain't want me to stop him. That sounds like something that he'll try to put together and wouldn't tell me, to be honest. Like, because he know how I am and how his mama was or whatever. We both would tell him no, because we don't want to lose you. Do you think Danye had it in him to kill somebody to protect a member of his family? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And he wouldn't care about going to jail for it. Once we had Deja, it made sense to ask her about some of the other potential threats in Danye's life. Did he ever tell you a story about any white boys out to get him? Not any white dudes. The only story that he ever told me a while ago was that when, you know, we first started getting into activism and protesting and things, that it was people prank calling his phone. Mm-hmm. But Did he say what they were saying? Nah, they were just breathing, he'd say. They'd just hold the phone and didn't say nothing. This story about people calling Danye and just breathing into the phone during their time as activists is pretty unsettling. Who could have gotten Danye's personal cell phone number? We also figured since Deja knew Danye's step-cousin, Deanie Boy, we should ask her what she thought of him. What about that step-cousin of his? Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. (laughs) So, Deanie, right? Troublemaker. In what way? I mean, people have their intentions. You get what I'm saying? And Daye, he ain't really like drama. And whenever him and his step cousin, which is always something, always something. But between them? Like no, when, no, 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 no. Okay, the just cousin, around. Yeah, the, no, the cousin getting into some stuff. You okay. know, and then Daye trying to come in and be the rescuer. That was really what Daye was. He always just wanted to rescue people. I know that he had done some drug runs for Deanie mm-hmm. prior to going out west. Yep. And then it's been explained to us that when he came back, he didn't want anything to do with that. No. Nope. He was just trying to get legit. Mm-hmm. Did he mention his step-cousin wanting him to get back into that? He never specifically told me that he wanted him to get back into that. So... I don't think, but I don't know. You're right, though. I don't know. Would you think he would have the capacity to uh, harm him? Harm him. To be honest, yeah. Like He probably could have thought about it, you know, and I think he thought about it, <laughs> to be honest. You think Deanie thought, thought about, about hurting yeah. Diane? Why? Because... You know how it is sometimes when people want something and that person not trying to do it for them or give it to them, they going to take it. And that was the type of person he was. You get what I'm saying? To me, he was just more jealous. Mm-hmm. Jealousy can take a toll and make you hurt someone. It was pretty shocking to hear Deja just straight up say that she thought that not only was Deanie capable of harming Danye, but that she thinks he probably considered it. But Danye died by hanging, which really doesn't strike us as a tactic street-level criminals would use to kill someone. Not impossible, but it's kind of out there. But it is interesting, in light of the story about the alleged intentional overdosing, which, of course, could not be true at all. But it does describe someone who wants to set up their crimes to look like other things. We sent multiple messages to Dini via Facebook, to offer him an opportunity to talk. But he never responded. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. 
Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. While we had Deja in the car, we figured we should ask her if she could confirm that Danya was ever making any money with wholesale real estate. So did he specifically ever tell you, I have sold something or made money in real estate? Yeah, he told me he had, was recently buying properties and stuff in Illinois. That's all he told me. Like, he was like... But you would... But, like, he told you that he had... That he had made money. He made money, money. yes. Yes, he was making money in it. And he was also, like, trying to put other people in it. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but he was trying to, like, have a group. It is very important to us to figure out the full picture of what Danye's mobile device use looked like. We figured it was worth asking Deja if she had ever seen Danya using a tablet. Did you know of him having any other devices? I had gave him an iPad, but I don't know what he did with it. Now that is interesting. Deja saying she gave Danya an iPad confirms Melissa and Derek's memories of seeing Danya use a tablet for a while and then never seeing it again and not finding it among Danya's belongings. This was huge because it means there is a possibility that there is an Apple device that Danye had logged into his accounts on that went into somebody else's possession. This would be even more relevant after what Deja told us next. Now I feel really bad that I did not see that post that Which, he posted on his page. What he post said, is this? I'm tired, and he waved. Do you have it? It's still on his page, Because yeah. I haven't, I have not seen that one. Man, and I don't know. It I, killed me. Deja pulled out her phone and opened Danye's Facebook page. And right there, on October 16th, is a meme-style post that just has one word. Tired, followed by an ellipsis, and an emoji of a hand-waving. It was posted at 8.13 p.m. The post settings were not public and must have been only viewable for specific friends. Because, like, I'm, I'm telling you, like, if I pull up Facebook and look at his profile, you I don't can't, see I don't see that. Even the police looked at his Facebook page, and they, they would they have... They didn't see that either? No, they would have written that down had they seen that. That's crazy. I know, and he said tired, bye. So who else has seen this? I don't know, I tried to tell his mom and stuff, and tell everybody, like, that's what he, his last post was. What does this mean? That's what I said. You know, like, because like, it could be, it could be goodbye. what you think. Yes, it could be. But not Danye. Like, some, I just feel like does somebody that seem did like this. Does, does that seem like him? No, that's no. what I'm saying. I feel like somebody did this to him. Despite this post, Deja was still skeptical that Danye died by suicide. We figured it was only fair to tell her about the hangman's news search we found in Danye's YouTube history. There is a search in the YouTube history for how to tie a hangman's noose with a blanket. I never, ever heard him talk about things like that. I promise you, like, that's what makes me believe, like, 
somebody tried to plot all of this. Now listen, like most people who hear this are going to hear like, there's a search in his YouTube history for this news instruction. And then there's a Facebook post that's limited to certain people that says tired hand wave, you know, like goodbye. And there's gonna be people, people who hear that and go like, oh, he, he definitely killed himself. Like maybe we're at the end of the road. Maybe these are, maybe these are the final proof that everyone needs that he was in fact just, you know, something snapped. He just, it was too, everything was too hard and maybe he did do that to himself. But Daye, when I tell you when me and Daye was together, John, we went through a lot of stuff. Me and Daye went through homelessness together. We went through a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. We went through so much and he never once, you get what I'm saying? Like he had been through so much adversity yes. and that never came up. No. So and what would what I'm this saying. be? Like, how would he want to do bad to himself when he was doing good? You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's what I don't get. When we were doing bad, Daye was strong as a mug. He was so strong. I was the weak one, mm-hmm. crying and, oh my God, what are we going to do? He was, bae, it's going to be okay. I'm going to get the job at FedEx. He got a job at FedEx. Daye, and like I keep telling you, Daye wasn't doing, he wasn't in a bad position. He, like, even when he was in a bad position, he was still looking for positivity. I don't get, like like I said, it don't line up with me because we went through the worst. I just can't put that in my head. I'm sorry. I which, just don't which is think fair. he did. Like, which is fair. That's just not the Danye that I knew, you know. And even when, like I said, when he was in a bad position or however you want to call it, he never once thought about hurting himself. He just thought about making it better. Before parting we thought it was appropriate to give Deja a chance to defend herself against what Melissa and Malisha had said about her. They said that you set people up. Mm-hmm. Um, that was what they told me about you. Um, I know. They hate me. I just can laugh on that. Okay. I don't know from a candy paint what they're talking about, mm-hmm. but to be honest, why you think I don't talk to them now? They are very fake people to me. I am no type of fake. For what it's worth, Deja and Melissa do not get along, if you hadn't noticed. But both of these women believe deeply, fervently, passionately, that Danye would never have harmed himself. We thought it was important to bring some of this information back to Melissa. With Derek by her side, we again brought up Marcel and what looked like the rumblings of a plot by Danye to hurt or kill Marcel. This time when we talked about it, Melissa walked back a little her earlier statement that Danye would do it himself. I would say this. As far as killing somebody, planning on it and going through with it. Even though Danye didn't tell me every single thing, he told me a lot. And if if Danye was going to go and kill somebody, I would have known. You don't think, Malisha would have known. You don't think that he would not tell you so you didn't try to stop him? Mm-mm. Because Danye didn't want to do it. Planning it and doing it, two different things. Sometimes Danye probably wants to look a little tougher than, than he really was. If they, him and Damon had made some plans to do it, which it's not even in Damon either. It's really not. They just not built like that. It ultimately didn't matter, because even if Danye was planning to hurt Marcel, that plan never came to fruition. And in a follow-up conversation with Damon, he was pretty adamant that Marcel didn't even know Danye. So the idea that Marcel would have come after him, he thought, was pretty laughable. Doubly so in light of the way in which Danye died. Damon re-expressed to us that Danye felt like a burden to his mother, so we asked her if she thought that was true. Nope, because we made sure we told him that he was never a burden on us. I only ask because Damon told us that he'd expressed that to him at some point. We always made sure that our kids, and we told them ourselves, look, you are not a burden here. All our kids, if they need somewhere to sleep, as long as we got a roof over our head, you got a roof over your head. 
he said right. he said if I'm if 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 I ever if y'all ever feel like you know I'm a burden I said no you, you know that you know Kanye you know better than that you know that's that's what I'm saying like conversations that we had I've had with Kanye and we've had with Kanye it's always been open it's always been open so if I thought that it was to the point to where he was it was just too much especially that night yeah it, I would have known. And then this Facebook post. We felt a bit let down that no one in Danye's family had ever mentioned it to us. Maybe they thought if we saw the post, especially at the outset of this investigative effort, we would quickly close the book on the possibility that Danye was murdered. Whatever the reason for not telling us, we asked about the post. When we look at his Facebook profile, we can only see what's public. Right. And Deja showed me that he made a post on the 16th that said, I'm like, I'm tired. Tight. Or tired, and that had a hand wave. Yeah. Okay, so did you ever see that, or did no. it make you aware of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Who who did who did see it? Who told you about it? I think the police did. Or, no, or the, the police. Oh, no, or Malisha did. Malisha told you. Yeah. Okay, so she could see it. Yeah. But Even like, if he did make that, what does tired mean? I don't know. What does tired mean? No tired, good night. You can take anything out. You know, I mean, but again, know. but again... Also, Danye, he would have sent me something. He would have left me something, said something. To leave no note, nothing, no text, no messages or anything. It just makes no sense. Melissa and her family don't think the tired post on Danye's Facebook page means much at all. And perhaps they're right. People do often post on their social media pages that they're tired. When they wake up the next day and go about their lives, the post isn't treated as some cry for help. It only looks like a goodbye when, in fact, someone does die. But here we are with two digital fingerprints, both left at a time when Danye was sitting next to his stepfather on the couch watching basketball. Do the timing and the later deletions and usage of Danye's Google account taken into context with this missing iPad point to a conspiracy? Or is that just static, noise that is confusing a clear signal, making the notion that Danye's death is a homicide now a bridge too far, too irrational to walk across? We have been eating, sleeping, and breathing Danye Dion Jones for more than two years, trying to read every text, speak with every friend, and examine every detail of his life and death that we could get our hands on. As it stands, we can't prove anything. And truly, we never would be able to, because we aren't a court. We're two guys who gave a damn and lent our time and resources to Melissa and her family when they were trying to shed light on what happened to Danya. We've personally vacillated back and forth on just what happened to him, questioning the police, questioning Melissa, questioning ourselves sometimes falling deep into the caverns of minutia, looking for the subtlest clues and leads, a large portion of which went nowhere, and so were never included in this show. At the end of everything, if we want this investigation to amount to anything, we would need to bring it to someone with subpoena power, someone who could separate the signal from the noise, someone who could crack open the data in Danye's accounts and pin down once and for all which devices at which locations made the posts and searches in question. We needed someone who could command that a real investigation take place. Someone who promised to give all the residents of St. Louis County a fair shake. That's next time on After the Uprising. After the Uprising is directed, produced, investigated, written, and reported by myself, Raina Vyshelsky, and John Duffy. John Duffy was also the editor. Dave Cassidy was producer. Sound engineering, design, and mix by Josh Condon. Executive producers were Matt McDonough and Tina Xeros for Now This, Brett Kushner for Group 9 Media, and Jess Borave was executive in charge of production. Jonathan Hartwig and Bradley Rayford were consulting producers. Eliza Craig was assistant producer and did additional reporting. Mallory Kenoy was a writer's assistant. Kristen McVicker and Taya Wilson were production assistants. And Haley Klesmer was a post-production assistant. Fact-checking by Allison Humes. Theme song and other music by Zachary Walter. Legal by Keith Sklar and Peter Yazzie. Special thanks to Ann Frado, Danny Gonzalez, Barbara Koppel, Alex Lester, Bethann Macaluso, Emily Marinoff, Ruth Vaca, and the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press. 
After the Uprising is a production of Double Asterisk, iHeartMedia, and Now This in association with True Stories. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook. If you have useful information about the death of Donye Jones or anything we've covered, please leave a message on our tip line at 347-674-7401. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.